Father, teach us this morning how to battle the depression that so often hits so many of us this time of year and help us and equip us to fight for joy in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So uh, I guess a couple years ago I saw an article uh, that was published and the title of the article was this, Is Christmas Music Bad for Your Mental Health? And here's the lead of the story. The holiday tunes are fine, but experts say listening to too much Christmas music or hearing it too early can cause anxiety and depression. So for all of you who are against listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, here's your ammo. There you go. I myself am dubious of these claims. I I start listening like in October to Christmas music, and you're thinking, well, that explains a lot about his mental health right there. Uh, but but I, yeah, I have to agree that, that some of uh, these Christmas songs that we hear are, are probably less than helpful. Um, you know, we could add Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer to that list as maybe less than helpful for mental health this time of year. Uh, along with that, that, that maybe the worst Christmas song ever, the, the Christmas Shoes song. Have you heard the Christmas Shoes song? Come on. What's a little kid like that doing in a department store by himself anyway? You know, he, he's got an angle. That, that's a con. He's selling those shoes out front for twice the... Twice the cost. You know that's what he's doing. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I agree. Some songs, some holiday songs, are less than helpful for our mental health. But in all seriousness, you, you don't have to listen to Christmas music to experience depression and sadness during the holidays, do you? For those struggling with depression around this season, this is anything but the, the most wonderful time of year. For a lot of people, this is the hardest time. This is the saddest time of year. This is the time we struggle the most. You don't have to start listening to Christmas music in October to experience that. It's it's a time of just trying to survive for a great many people. And, and that's what we're going to consider this morning. How do we survive the depression so often associated with the holidays? And what we need to do is we start this conversation. We need to start by realizing that the, the holiday blues sometimes, the, the mild version of it or a more severe version of it, and it's what we call depression, can be, can be triggered by any number of things. Disappointment over unmet expectations that we have for the season, that we have for the relationships that are rocky or missing this time of year. Loneliness. Maybe the, the spouse or the child is deployed Maybe you just you feel the colossal weight this time of year that you don't have that spouse or that child that you desire so much. Loss and grief, huge triggers for depression this time of year over somebody who's just not there because of death or divorce or, or some other reason. Of course, sin, another trigger, another cause of depression this time of year, e- either your own feelings of guilt or somebody else's, somebody else's sin, somebody else's choices, somebody else's behavior that's caused you a great deal of harm. And that's besides the biological causes that can contribute to this, medical conditions, sickness. How about just sheer exhaustion? You know, when you're absolutely run dry, when there's nothing left in the tank, you're on empty. And then any of these or any combination of these can be causes, 
triggers for the sadness and the sorrow that we experience this time of year. But whatever the cause may be, or, or plurality of causes, whatever severity or duration of the depression, all of them have one thing in common. They all involve a loss of hope. That is the quintessential mark of depression. A loss of hope. When depression sets in, it is incredibly difficult to see how there can be any meaning or any hope in what you're going through, which is, which is why we so often describe depression with the image of darkness. When darkness sets in, you can't see where you are. You can't see where you've been. You can't see where you're going. There's no light to comfort you in it. No light to guide you out of it. Now, does any of that come close to describing where you're at this time of year? Do you know what that feels like? To be in that darkness? Well, I can tell you this. God certainly knows what that experience is like, which is why he has given us so much in his word to help us through it. And what I want to do this morning is look at one place in scripture where he's done just that. Psalms 42 and 43 are really one psalm in two parts. They're both by the same psalmist and they're both about his struggles with depression. Three times In these two Psalms, he says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Just read the Psalms. You you see his own experience with deep sadness and sorrow and despair and depression. But more than that, both of these Psalms show us how God led him to fight for joy through his darkness. So why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's fighting for joy in the midst of his depression. And so here's what I want to show you this morning from Psalms 42 and 43. I want to show you three strategies that the psalmist uses to fight for joy and how we can use those strategies to fight for joy in the midst of holiday depression. Three things. Talk, listen, and go. Now, I realize that these these three strategies, they're not exhaustive. I mean, depression is a very big and complicated issue. So this is not exhaustive. But this is essential. If we are going to fight for joy as we battle depression, these are essential for helping us do that. Talk, listen, and go. And I'll explain what Psalms 42 and 43 mean by that as we move along. But let's start then with the first. Talk. There are two people the psalmist talks to in these psalms as a way of battling depression. The first, I think, is is obvious. Uh, The second, not so much. Now, the first and most obvious person that he talks to in his fight for joy is God. I mean, that's what 
the Psalms are. They're prayers. And, and that's what prayer is. Prayer, if you like, is just simply talking to God. And look at how he opens his prayer in verse 1 of chapter 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. So who's he talking to? He's talking to his God. He's offering prayer to God. Verse 4 says that he's, he's pouring out his soul to God. And that's what prayer is. God is the first and foremost person that he's talking to in these Psalms. And throughout he explains why, doesn't he? As you just kind of walk through the Psalms, you see him explaining why it is that God is the first and foremost person that he has to talk to as he battles depression. He talks to God because God is the only one in control of his situation. He's certainly not. But God is. We see that in verse 7. God is the only one stable and strong enough to help him in his situation. You see that in chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. That's why, we, that's why he calls God a rock. A bedrock that doesn't move, that provides foundation and stability and strength in the midst of all of his chaos that he's going through. And God is the only one who can truly satisfy his depressed soul. Look at verse 4 in chapter 43. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my Exceeding joy. Literally, the joy of my rejoicing, or the the joy in all of my joys. That's how he speaks of God. He, He realizes that even if he can move from this, uh, state of depression to a state of, of, of joy, that's not enough. Unless it is supreme joy, he realizes that it won't last. He realizes it will not fully and forever satisfy. Only God has the capacity to fully and forever satisfy the downcast soul. He is the only source of supreme, all-satisfying joy. And so he talks to God. He prays. He pours out his aching heart and his mind to God. He does it at times with simplicity, with brevity. It doesn't have to be this, you know, highly exalted, majestic, you don't have to, have to use all the big words. Sometimes it's just enough that we can eke, eke out a, a help. But he's talking. He's talking to God. That's the first person that he talks to as he battles depression. The second person he talks to may be less obvious to you because the second person that he talks to is himself. Watch what he does three times in these Psalms. He says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation. And my God, do you see what he's doing there? He's talking to himself. But not in a weird way, right? 
not in like the the split personality disorder talking to yourself kind of way, not in in the way that he's doing it audibly out in public. He's he's rather he's reminding himself internally of what he knows is true and right and good. He's talking to himself. If that seems strange to you, can I just tell you, we do that all the time. All the time. And we don't even realize that we're doing it. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains this in his book on spiritual depression. He says, have have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They, they bring back the problems of yesterday and so forth. Without even realizing it, we talk to ourselves all the time. In the thoughts that we have, in the ways that we talk about the things that we deal with, and the problems that we have, and the struggles we go through, in the ways that we talk about them, we're really talking to ourselves And we're listening to the ways that we talk about what we're going through. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's calling us to fight that. Because most of what we say to ourselves, if we just let it happen naturally, works to intensify our depression, not alleviate it. And the psalmist recognizes that. And he's calling us to spend less time talking about ourselves and more time talking to ourselves. Instead of letting those unhelpful and depressing thoughts reign in our minds, we speak up. We speak to them. We tell ourselves, you know what, today is not hopeless. When you're in the midst of deep, dark depression, that's what you tell yourself over and over and over again. That's the very definition of depression, that there's no hope in this situation. And what the psalmist is saying we must do is we've got to speak back to that. You say to yourself, today is not hopeless. We preach to ourselves that God has not abandoned us. He's not lost control. He can and He will Come to our aid when we call upon Him for help and for grace. We need to spend less time talking about ourselves and about our problems and more time preaching to ourselves the truth and the reality of the hope that we have in the Gospel. That is the the first strategy that Psalms 42 and 43 gives us for how we battle depression. We talk. Before we talk to anybody else, we talk to God and we talk to ourselves. That's the first strategy, talk. The second is this, it's listen. And we see that strategy in verse 3 in Psalm 43. Look at what the psalmist says. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. What that is, that's a reference to God's word. And look at how he refers to God's word. He refers to it as light 
and truth. Now, take those two descriptions of God's word and let's just think about them in relation to depression. Light and truth. We know depression is is really best described with the image of darkness. That's a very accurate description of the experience that we go through when we're depressed. And what is it that shines light into that darkness of the soul? It's, it's God's Word. God's Word in the Bible is a darkness piercing light that shines in the dark recesses of our depression and provides the illumination that we need to see, to see the hope, the reality of hope that is real and present and available to us in God. It's light, but it's not just light, it's also truth. Have you ever heard the expression, there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, that may or may not be helpful. It's the light, a train bearing down on you. Okay, If it's a train, it's not very helpful that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Light by itself isn't all that helpful. We need truth. We need something that would guide us out and comfort us while we're in. This is a light that reveals the truth of what we're going through. And the the lies that we tell ourselves when we're deep in depression about how there is no hope, there is no help. You're doing this by yourself. Nobody want to hear it anyway. God's distant. And all the other anti-gospel Ways that we lie to ourselves, And then here in the midst of that, God speaks light and truth to, to help us so that we might be able to navigate to, through the darkness. Look, look at verse 3 again. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Do you see... How God is guiding us and helping us in the midst of our darkness. That's what God's Word does. So how do we get in on that? How do we actually do that? How do we listen to God's light and His truth? Well, we listen to His Word. We pick it up and we read it. You pull the Bible off the shelf, you blow the dust off of it, and you actually open it and begin reading it. And look, I realize how hard that is to do, especially during holiday depression. But look, there's not an alternative. There's nowhere else he's going to speak to you. That's how his light and his truth enter our darkness. Through hearing him speak in his word. So let me just... Let me just make a couple of suggestions here on what you could do this holiday season to listen for light and truth. Just two things. Start small and have a plan. Start small 
and have a plan. Make it manageable. Okay, don't set out to read all 50 chapters of Genesis today. All right? That's not going to happen. You're going to burn out by the time you get done reading. Set out to, to do something manageable. Set four or five minutes. You can find four or five minutes. You can eke out four or five minutes. I'm not saying that's the end goal. I think if you do four or five minutes, you'll eventually want a lot more than four or five minutes. But start with just four or five minutes and have a plan of what you're going to do. So they don't spend that four or five minutes trying to figure out where to read. I'm flipping back and forth and four or five minutes is gone. And if you want a plan, here's one suggestion. I would say start with the Psalms. The Psalms is, is perhaps the most helpful place to go in all of Scripture when you're battling with depression because so many of the Psalms are written by people battling depression in the very Psalms, like the ones that we're studying today. And if you're not even sure where to start in the Psalms, you can use what it's called the, the Psalm of the Day method. And I've found this extremely helpful for just giving some cohesion, some plan to, to listening to God speak to us through the Psalms. Here's how it works. It's called the Psalm of the Day. Whatever day in the month it is, that's your first Psalm. You add 30 to it, that will give you a second Psalm. Add 30 again, you get a third Psalm. You can do that five times. And very quickly, you've got five different Psalms to choose from. And in one of those five psalms, you're going to find something your soul could grab hold of. Some light, some truth to help you with what you're dealing with that day. So, for example, today's the 15th. So you'd have Psalm 15, Psalm 45, Psalm 75, Psalm 105, and Psalm 135. And yes, I wrote that down because there's no way I could do that math that quickly in my head. You know me, I can't do basic math. So, whatever you do. Whatever plan you have, listen. Listen to God's light and truth in your fight for joy. And then lastly, go. Go. And not just go and do the next thing. That is really helpful advice, by the way, especially if you are deeply debilitated in your depression. Just do the next thing is some of the best advice that you can have. Make a meal, do the launch, just do the next thing to keep moving forward. But here specifically in in Psalms 42 and 43, we battle depression and we fight for joy by going with others to worship. By going with others to worship. Look at verses 3 and 4. Here in Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He's he's talking here about what we call corporate worship. Or if you like, he's talking about going to church. Where you hear God's word, where you sing praises to God, where we worship together with God's people. The psalmist in these psalms, he even recalls times past where corporate worship had provided such a source of strength and support and hope and joy for him. Look back in uh, chapter 42, verse 4. These things I remember. So he's, I think he's lying on his bed, he's weeping. 
in his depression and he's thinking about something and look what his mind is thinking about. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's thinking about the joy of going to church. Now, I, I realize... I do. I realize in the midst of depression, that is the last place you feel like going. You don't feel like being with other people at all when we're in the midst of deep depression. You certainly don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like going and seeing everybody else singing while you can't eke out even a word. You just want to be alone. So I, I, I realize that. That's the recall that we, we have. When we're depressed and we encounter this, but, but realize recoiling is the absolute worst thing that you can do when you're deep in depression. Pursuing isolation when you're down and you're depressed, it's, it's like, it's like drinking seawater when you're dying of thirst out on the sea. For, for that, for that brief moment, it's, it's, it, it quenches the thirst, but what happens? It immediately comes back more intense than it ever was before. It's, it's more intense, it's more destructive, isn't it? Isolation is, is an attempt to self-preserve, but in reality it's, it's nothing more than a form of self-harm. The times we feel most depressed are the times we need to be with others the most. And that's what the psalmist is getting at when he talks about going with the throng to worship. What is a throng? It's a crowd. It's a group of people. In fact, it's a multitude of people. He's going with others to worship God. And in the midst of his depression, he's longing for companionship that he once had. The ministry of others to him, the encouragement of others for him, the, the help of others that they're giving to him especially as it's found in the context of worship, going with God's people to exult in God together. That's his strategy for battling depression. And it needs to be ours as well. We've got to talk. We've got to listen and we have to go if we're going to fight for joy in the midst of darkness this Christmas. You know, it, it, it really is a perplexing thing. It's paradoxical how the one holiday that should be the greatest help for sufferers turns out to be the one holiday they most want to avoid. I mean, isn't that what we do when we're depressed and we're facing the holidays? We just want to skip it. We just want to avoid Christmas. We just want to check out. Hit the eject button. I realize that's, that's how we feel when we're depressed on the holidays, but the exact opposite is what we need. I love how Paul Tripp explains that. He's, ta- he's talking about how sufferers should think about and approach Christmas. And just listen to what he says. If there weren't pain, suffering, sin, destruction, discouragement, and death, there would be no need for Christmas. 
This holiday is about suffering. This holiday is about pain. Now, what we've done, and it's right to do that, we've made this a holiday of celebration because we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. But in so doing, we forget why he came. He came to end suffering. He came to end death. He came to end sin and brokenness and pain and destruction and discouragement. And so this is the sufferer's holiday. Rather than the holiday to be avoided, I ought to run to Christmas because what Christmas tells me is that there's hope for people like me. Now, have you ever thought of Christmas like that? As the sufferer's holiday. Folks, it is the only holiday where we can celebrate light coming into the world, coming into our darkness in order to experience the very darkness that we face and to conquer it on our behalf. That's exactly how passages like Isaiah 9 speak of Christmas. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest And then it goes on, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, you know it, Wonderful Counselor. Oh, how the depressed need counsel. They need a counselor who is wonderful. He is a mighty God, the kind of God who provides the stability and the refuge that we need that we cannot provide for ourselves. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, that is what we celebrate at Christmas. And so if you are suffering this morning in the darkness of depression, the good news of Christmas for you is that you don't have to go through that alone. You don't have to go through that without hope. Jesus came to rescue those in deep darkness. He came to forgive our sin, to take away our guilt, to give us true and lasting joy, and to one day eradicate forever all suffering. All sadness, all despair. And he did that, folks, by suffering for us on the cross. And that same Jesus is here this morning. He's here and he's offering himself to you as light and truth. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why it truly is 
the sufferer's holiday. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to hear Jesus' promise to sufferers like us as we close. Just hear what Jesus says to you right now in the midst of your darkness. He says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. May Jesus be your light this Christmas. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for so many of us, we are in the thick darkness of depression and struggling to see any kind of light to guide us, to help us, to comfort us. And so, for those who are there this morning, pierce the darkness with the light of the gospel and give hope through faith in what you have done for sinners like us. And we pray this in your glorious and true name, Lord Jesus. Amen.